Hey, all right. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's still morning. It's 1130, but it's still morning. Good morning, y'all. Hey, I want to invite you to stand on up with us real quick as we get ready for service today. And I'm going to ask something, if you wouldn't mind. Hey, I love the 1130 service, and our church is growing. And I know I've met people that come at 1130 that didn't come earlier, but now we got this, and you're here. So we're so glad you're here. As we get ready for worship, I want to just let you know we've got a great service plan for you. Uh, my name's Clay, if I haven't met you yet. I'm our Connect and Serve Director here at at, uh, Community Life Church, and our team has been praying and preparing for you all week this week. We're so glad you're here. If you're just coming in the doors, we've got a lot of seats available, man. Come on up front. We don't bite. It's good. We can sit up and get close and have fun, but um, before we move into service today, as we continue our One Another series, I want to invite you to pray the Lord's Prayer with me this morning as we uh, prepare our hearts for the service. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. God, we thank you for this morning, God. Uh, Lord, we know that you are God. You are still on the throne, God. Whether uh, we are at the highest moment of our life, God, or we're in the lowest of lows, God, that we know that you aren't surprised, God, that you are still there. Lord, we know that your word says you are for us and not against us, God, and so we thank you for that. And God, I pray that whatever we've carried into this place this morning, God, that today would be a moment we would lay it down, Lord, that, that as it says in your word, that your burden is easy, your yoke is light. So God, I pray that we would lay down the burdens we carry, the Lord, you would take that, that you would lift us up, God, and that as we worship you today, God, that you would just show up, that you would lift our spirits, God, that we would walk out today lighter than we came in. God, I pray that you would be amazing today as you always are, uh, as we experience your worship and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We're so glad that y'all are here this morning. We're going to worship together. I invite you guys to sing along. We worship our Lord and all that He can do. Into deserts, into rivers, dusty ground into springs. Calm the storm to whisper.
love that so much. Let all that I am sing hallelujah, amen. It's um, regardless of what you might be facing today, that's the best way that we can give praise to a God who's so deserving is to just sing regardless of what season of life you're in, just make a decision. I'm gonna praise, I'm gonna lift my voice, I'm gonna lift my, lift my hands and give a God who deserves so much. He puts up with us. Can I get an amen for that? <laughs> so thankful that He does, that He loves us unconditionally. I wanna read a verse to you this morning, um, Psalm 145, eight through 10. It says, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, great in mercy. Thank you, Lord, for that. The Lord is good to all and His mercies are over all His works. All your works will give thanks to you, Lord, and your godly ones will bless you. We bless you this morning. God, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you so much for your faithfulness and your mercy on us. Every single day, you are there for us and we, we love you. We just give you back this time. Continue to move in our lives and our hearts this morning. Yeah. 
test that God is faithful to us this morning. Amen? God of Abraham, you're the God of covenant, faithful promises. Time and time again, you have proven, you'll do just what you say. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast. And let my heart learn when you speak a word, it will come to pass. Great is your faithfulness to me. Great is your faithfulness to me from the rising sun to the setting same I will praise your name great is your faithfulness to me Though the earth may pass away, your word remains the same. Your history can prove there's nothing you can't do. You're faithful and true. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast and let my heart
relentlessly and as we look back over the course of our lives we can see that evidence of of your goodness and your grace and your mercy to us father despite where our hearts may have been or uh, what our minds were set on at that time that you were still there you were still working to deliver on your promises god and we thank you for that we thank you that we get to start from a point of being loved by you and respond to that rather than the reverse god we thank you for that. Father, I pray as Scott comes to, uh, to deliver the, the word that you've placed on his heart for us, I pray that you've already begun the work of, of softening our hearts to receive that, God. We thank you again, and we love you. We pray all these things in the name of your precious son. Amen. Before you guys are seated, if you will turn and greet the people around you, shake some hands, learn a name. And if you're uh, joining us online, we're so glad you're here. We'll be back shortly. morning. I hope everybody's doing good this morning. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today at Community Life Church on this beautiful Sunday morning. My name is Scott Barron and I'm the lead pastor here at Community Life. And it is an honor to have you here in the family room or to have you joining us online. Um, we recognize that there are any number of a thousand places that you could be on a Sunday morning. And it means the world to us that, that you would take time to, to spend it with us. So uh, we're going to honor that time and um, hopefully give you something in return for that. So thank you for being here today. At Community Life, we love God, we love our neighbor, and we believe that our mission is to connect people to Jesus because we believe that Jesus is the source of life. And so our hope is that when you discover that source of life, that yes, you'll hold on to it, but then you'll take and give it to every single person that you encounter because it is a limitless supply of life and it is intended to be given away. So um, hopefully um, you'll do that. And if there's anything we can do to stand alongside you in this journey, um, we would love to have that opportunity. So a couple quick announcements and then um, we're going to jump into the message. So this Wednesday night, um, we will be hosting our um, First Steps Dinner 
So typically, we used to do first steps on Sunday mornings. Well, we, now that um, we're crazy on Sunday mornings, we moved it to a Wednesday night. But here's the cool thing. It gives us a chance to really spend time getting to know you, and, and, and you can get to know us a little bit. But that's going to be this Wednesday night. If you've been attending for a while, you want to find out more about the church, well, we want to meet you and find out about you as well. So you can register either by stopping in the Next Steps room, or if you're online, we'll put a QR code up, and uh, you can register that way as well. Um, the uh, Thrive Ministries, which is our small group ministry, we're registering for classes. And so this is kind of that open season. And Kat was telling me that she's got 50 plus classes open and available for people to join. So we encourage you to find that community, find that forever family, if you will, um, that you can spend time with and learn and grow or a class and a study that you're interested in. Uh, they've got so many awesome things. And, um, and please know that we don't expect that the first group you sign up for is going to be the perfect group, right? You say, Scott, those people were crazy. And I said, I know, I talked to them and they said, you were crazy. <laughs> you just have to bounce around, find one that works. And, and eventually you, you kind of find that group that you can stick with. Um, so put the time in because I think it absolutely matters. And that's what our series is about today. And then last but not least, Tammy, Clint, and Darcy um, will be leading a luncheon right after this service for those who are interested in going on the Nicaragua mission trip in December. So the week of December 4th, um, they're taking a trip over there. And so if you're interested in that, please go attend that luncheon. Um, or if you're interested in the mission itself, um, there are going to be multiple trips as they go throughout the year, and they can set up other times to go. So if you're just interested, go find out. Here's the cool thing about this mission trip in particular. The way that it's set up and the project that we work with with the students, if you have children that are 12 years of age or older, you can take them with you um, and they can go. We have a giant baseball field out back that doubles as a soccer field and so they can play with the students. They can have an absolute blast working with them. Um, we even have one of the students from the, from the project that, is on the, that made it onto the national team for Nicaragua. So it's just really cool how all of that has come together and just created a great connection. So that's, you can bring your children, but then also you can go and bring your skill sets. You can teach some of the older students, or if you're a teacher, you can use those skill sets as well in the classrooms. But, um, but if you're interested in that, stop by and see them upstairs. I think it's in room 1207 uh, is where they're going to be today, and that's at, that's at 1245. All right, so um, I've got to prep you guys. I, I'm, a one, I'm a thousand times better, but I'm learning. Every Sunday morning, I'm learning something different about myself, um, whether it's about moderating my voice or speed or all of those things. It's a hot mess. Today, I learned if I don't eat, I pass out. First service was very interesting. I didn't pass out, but oh, it was so close. Um, it was so close that I, I got done, um, navigated my way down the stairs. We did the prayer time. And then they were shoving things in my face as I was over sitting, waiting between the services. So the 10th clock service, I remember, like coherently, I was present for it. And, but, I, but I held on to the podium and Addie's sitting right here in the front. So if I go to fall, she can catch me or just roll me under the stage and then come up and take over the message, right? That's how we're gonna do it. So I've learned that I need to probably eat something um, when we do this. It would be smart. I used to hate to eat. Now I think I have to because I don't like to pass out. So I only say that because although I feel great, if it happens, take a picture. Um, it'd be something we can all celebrate together. It needs to be one of the pictures that we hang on the wall upstairs as you walk around the second floor. Um, this is Scott and this is Scott passed out. Um, and I, <laughs> I'm chasing squirrels. This is how you know I'm better. Um, I love the 1130 service. I've made all the mistakes in the other two, and you guys are getting the good stuff. Amen? 
Like this feels like that last service on Christmas Eve. I mean, this is like hometown. You're my people. That's not to say if you're in one of the other services that you're not my people. I just, I love this group. Um, so. so today we're going to continue our series called One Another. And one another is a phrase that's derived from the Greek word alelone, alelone. And this word alelone is used in the New Testament a hundred times, but 59 of the times specifically, it is used as a command for how we operate as a community, how we learn to be together as a community, a healthy biblical community, if you will. And so the goal of this series, thinking about alelone, is how we elevate the importance of godly community in our lives. There's no question, um, if you've lived any amount of time, that it's not a matter of if, but when chaos is going to ensue in life. Amen? At some point, something's going to happen, and you're going to look around, and you're going to go, what just happened? And I hope and I pray that you've done the work in the normal times of life, whatever that means, to build community around you so that when chaos happens or things start to break, you got people that can pull to your side, that can love you, nurture you, correct you, or hold you, or feed you, whatever it is that needs to be done. If you've built that healthy community around you, then that as the body of Christ is what we're supposed to do. So that's, that's our hope in this series is to elevate that understanding of a healthy, godly community. Um, in week one, we set the foundation by looking at Jesus on the Last Supper, John chapter 13, as he gave a new commandment to the disciples. He said, I give you a new command that you love one another. And it's by this that people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so if you take that understanding, the way that Jesus loved his disciples, and then you roll over into John chapter 17, Jesus in John chapter 17 is praying to the Father. This is the last 24 hours of his life. And in that prayer, he teaches us what it means to be one, right? So to understand what it means to love one another, you have to understand the theology of what it means to be one. And he says, Father, um, as you are in me and I am in you, I pray that they also would be in us, bringing all of us together. So if you understand the theology of being one as the body of Christ with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit, then when you go back into loving one another, then you recognize that when I love you, I'm loving God. When you love me, you're loving God. Together, that's the way that God has intended for us to operate and to be together. And, and so really in the body of Christ, we shouldn't be beating each other up or hammering each other. We should be loving one another because the best version of you is the best version of me, is the best version of God in this world. Um, for everyone to look and, and see who God is. That's supposed to be the way that we live in community. So that set the foundation for the series. And what we learned going forward is when you read in your New Testament that all of the apostles when they write their writings, whether it's Paul, James, Peter, they pick up this phrase and they use it to, as a derivative, if you will, of loving one another. And so it could be in all of the different ways that you love one another, you teach one another, you admonish one another, you care for one another. All of those ways are encompassed in loving one another, but they use it as a call to teach us how to be in community. So last week, we went to Colossae and we studied the letter to the Colossians. And what you need to know is that that letter had a specific purpose. And that purpose was to correct um, some false teaching that had made its way into the church. And so as Paul is looking at this understanding of false teaching, he writes a letter to them that in the first few chapters builds this beautiful theology. That false teaching was taking away from the fact that Jesus was God. 
And they just tried to make Jesus out to be a man. And so, so Paul had to correct that theology. And so he talks about be- Jesus in such beautiful language as being the son of God there from the beginning in all, all in all. I mean, it's, it's powerful. So go back and read Colossians. But here's what I would tell you, that when you get into the one another statements that he mentions in Colossians, um, do not lie to one another, bear with one another, forgive one another, teach and admonish one another. When you look at those, it's almost as if in Paul's mind, his solution for combating false teaching is by being in a healthy community. And it makes sense. If we're a healthy community and someone comes in and starts teaching false teachings, then if we understand and we're growing in maturity, then we will be able to pull that person aside, we'll be able to correct them, we'll be able to teach them, we'll be able to forgive them, restore them, one another, right? You see how all that works together. So for Paul, living in a healthy community is a great response to false teaching or false doctrine. And so that's kind of the understanding of Colossians. Well, today, we're gonna open up a whole new letter and we're gonna go to Ephesus and we're gonna look at Paul's letter to the Ephesians but I got to set it up. So one of the things that I forgot to tell you last week is that Paul is in prison in Rome in 60, 61, 62 AD, somewhere in that time frame. And it's believed that while he's in prison in Rome, he writes four letters. And these four letters are known as the prison epistles or the prison letters. And those four letters are Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. Now, we're going to look at three of those letters. So next week, if you want to read ahead, you can go ahead and read Philippians. But here's what you need to know, is that all of these letters um, have very similar instruction in them. You're going to see some, some of the same thoughts that come about when you get into this point of application. You're going to see them repeat themselves a little bit. So Paul starts off with theology, and then he builds the one another statements in and teaches us how to live into that. But I think the biggest thing that will make most sense is that when Paul wrote the letter to Ephesus or even to Colossians, it was never just send that to them, they read it and they stick it in a drawer. Uh-uh. He would write the letter and then the hope was that they would take the letter, they would copy it and they would pass it on to the next community. So the teaching that he was given them would make its way around to all of the other churches around. It was a circular letter. So the thing that helps to understand Ephesians is that Ephesians doesn't really deal with um, a challenge like Colossians does. Ephesians is more in general, how we respond to the things of God. So does that make sense? It kind of sets the stage for you to understand that also when we get into next week into Philippians, that we're going to see some of those same one another statements that are there. So here's, um, here's what we need to know. What is the time to go to the map? You guys like maps, right? So let, let's, let's look at the map. Here it is. I'm going to put my glasses on so I can see it. Um, this is awesome. These arrows, so here's, here's Israel, there's Africa, there's Egypt. This is the Mediterranean Rim. The city that we're going to be looking at is Ephesus. It's right here on the edge, on the coast of the Aegean Sea. Last week we were here in Colossae. Um, but the arrows that you see, this is Paul's second missionary journey. And so you can see on his second missionary journey how he bounces from Corinth right over here to Ephesus. And you can read about this in Acts chapter 18. And at the end of this second missionary journey, he lands in Ephesus and he's not there for a long time. He goes into the city, he starts preaching in the synagogue and the people that are there are just enamored by what he's teaching. And they, they ask him to stay, like, please stay. Stay here and continue to teach. But Paul's got him, he's on a mission. He's got to go back to Jerusalem. He's got to go back and, and 
find the button. He's got to go back and report to Jerusalem what's going on. So he gets on the boat and he heads all the way back over to Caesarea and then makes his way down to Jerusalem and he reports to the disciples or the apostles at that point um, what's happening. But if I know Paul the way that I know Paul, the third missionary journey starts and that joker makes his way back up here. He bounces around to all these cities and then he goes straight over to Ephesus. Why? Because Ephesus was, was such a key city in, in those ancient days. It's a port city that opened up the gospel to the rest of the world. And, and so for Paul, he already knows that there's people that are there that are interested in hearing the gospel message. So man, he is on the way back. And you can read on in the rest of Acts chapter 18 and into 19, what happens when he goes there. He has so much success that um, all of the temples and all of the other worship places that were there, Paul has so much success that the artisans that make the statues that they worship, they start losing money. People are quitting going to the temples because Paul has taught them about Jesus. And so they quit worshiping all of these other gods. And they, a big riot breaks out and the disciples have to take and hide Paul and swoop him away. But he's there for three years teaching this church. So let me give you some facts about the, about the town, about the city. So population, although you can argue this, there's some different thoughts today and, and biblical scholars will change about every five years, no matter what. But they believe that the population of Ephesus was 250 to 300,000 people. So for context, Santa Rosa County, 200,000 people. This is a city we're talking about in antiquity. Um, there is a theater in there we're gonna look at in a second that, seat, that sat um, over 25,000 people. For comparison, the Pensacola Bay Center maxed out 10,000 people. So think in antiquity, the magnitude of what this city was all about. I just want you to try and wrap your mind around it. And so here we go. We're going to put some pictures up so you can see some of the ruins. So in this first picture, um, this is just that aerial view that, that lays it out for you to be able to see how it all comes together. So here's the Civic Agora. Here is the Commercial Agora. So the Civic Agora, Ephesus, when Rome took over Ephesus and took over Asia, they turned Ephesus into their regional hub for politics. And so the Civic Agora was where they had all of their political meetings. This was a huge, expansive building and place where they would gather and they would go through all their political meetings. The commercial Agora, think Target, Walmart. That's where you go to buy and to sell and where all the businesses were doing all of their interaction. And so that's where all of the commercial port was. That's where everybody was interacting and spending time together. Here's what's known as the small theater. And so if you have a small theater, that means you have what? A large theater. Let's go ahead and look at that picture. Here it is. This, this theater seats 25,000 people. It, it's, it's just unbelievable to try and wrap your mind around what this would have been like in antiquity. And it's even still used today to put on some performances. And you can imagine what that must have been like when you were there. The amphitheater is set up in such a way that you can stand on that stage and you can be heard in any part of this, um, this stadium. All right, go on to the next one. So here's the, the main city street that goes down. This here is the, um, I think this is the, uh, the, the regular agora where everybody met, but you can see the pillars, how it was lined. You know, we look at this and we think, oh, there's grass and there would have been a little hut there. No, no, no. This whole thing would have been buildings, two, three-story buildings on either side. That was a covered colonnade building where you would have had Roman chariots that would have run up and down those streets. You can't even imagine in your mind what Ephesus would have looked like. Go on, go to the next picture. Here's a three-story library. Who has a library? Ephesus did. 
16,000 scrolls, it was believed, were held in, in this library. Um, this building was built with double walls, so to keep away the humidity so it wouldn't damage the scrolls. People were not allowed to check the scrolls out, but you could go and in the big area with all of the light, you could read those scrolls. So different level of education. It was the center of the hub of the world, if you will, at the time. This was all destroyed in antiquity by the Goths, I believe, but in the early, in early 1900s, um, archaeologists came back and built this structure back so that you could see what the library would have looked like. So pretty cool. And then let's go ahead and look at that next picture. Here is up on the hillside overlooking Ephesus. This is believed to be the high priest of the temple of Artemis, his home with his bathhouse. And and (laughs) you can't imagine the wealth that this city would have provided for folks. But this just gives you an understanding that the, the roof over the top was just to cover up as they continued to go through and they continued to dig. But this is up on the hillside overlooking the city of Ephesus. All right, go on to the next picture. This here is the first and oldest image of Paul in those early centuries was when the Christians would gather. This is in a grotto that's on the outside of the town, um, a place where it believed that Christians would meet and they would have services. Um, This was painted a few hundred years after Paul. Is this what he looked like? A hundred percent? Maybe. Who knows, right? But that could be exactly what he looked like. Maybe they had a description of, of Paul, but that's believed to be one of the places. And here's my final and favorite picture. And see if you can tell me what this is. Does anybody know what that is? That's a toilet. You know that you have arrived in an ancient city that's pretty fancy if they have running water and they have toilets. That's exactly what they had. Um, we, when we were on one of our trips to Israel, we go into this, I forget the name of the place, it's somewhere near the uh, Sea of Galilee, and there's all these cool marble slabs sticking out of the wall. And the guy's like, everybody go ahead and have a seat. And he's talking to us about the thing. And then he, then he tells us we're all sitting on toilets, <laughs> which is just hilarious. You, your mind just can't even comprehend when you think about it. But why do I tell you all that? I want you to understand the development of Ephesus and, and where Paul spent three years expounding upon building this gospel community and how he used it to really reach out and branch out to the rest of the world. Is that, do you guys like that? You enjoy seeing all that? Okay, I did. Um, But here we go. So what does Paul do in Ephesians? Now, if you just, for a moment, the things that I didn't mention about Ephesus is there are multiple temples. The temple to Artemis, which was one of the known wonders of the ancient world, Odeon, Isis, um, uh, Domitian's temple. There are all of these places of worship that are around. So when Paul writes this letter, It is of the utmost importance that he provides clear, concise theology to help people understand God, our God, in a world where the the elements were worshipped, in a world where gods fell from the sky, in a world where there were all of these other things. And so the theology that he builds in Ephesians Ephesians is so important. And the book is really split into two parts. The first part, chapters 1 through 3, is... It's the most incredible theology ever. It's what God has done for us in Christ, through salvation, through redemption. He builds that whole narrative in chapters one through three. And then in chapters four, he takes and he puts it into application in our lives. Now, here's what I would ask you and beg you to do today is at some point, go back and read Ephesians. And and this is the best way to put it. Anybody get through school with the help of Cliff Notes? Y'all remember Cliff Notes? 
If you are a believer, but maybe you're not clear, you don't understand, or you want a great refresher, go back and read chapters one through three. It'll reestablish, give you an understanding, and help you to realize what your faith is all about. Now, our one another statements pick up in chapter four, but I would be doing you a great disservice if I skipped over the thoughts in chapters one and two and three. So I'm gonna breeze by these quickly just so you can get a taste, and hopefully it'll, it'll bring you back to look at it later. So in chapter one, verses three through 14, verses three through 14, I want you to know this is one sentence. And this is God's plan from father to son to Holy Spirit to bring everybody together in Christ. And I'm just going to paraphrase it for you so you can just get a taste of what it says. So in verse three, it says, blessed be the God and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Now, why is it important that he says, blessed us with every spiritual blessing? Because they're in a community where you can get spiritual blessings all over. And what he wants you to know is the father has given you every spiritual blessing that you could ever possibly need. And now he's going to go on and qualify it. He says, he destined us for adoption through Jesus. And so that father that blessed us with those, with those blessings, he, he destined us for adoption. He destined us for redemption. He, in verse seven, he de destined us for forgiveness of our trespasses. He's done all of that through Christ. And then not only that, not only has God done that, he brought us into this family. When you become a part of the family, you receive an inheritance. And guess what that inheritance is? It's down in verse 13. That inheritance is that you are marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the plan of salvation and the plan of all of creation together in those verses. So when you go home today, look at it and read it. Then when you get to chapter two, he takes and he gives us an understanding of what happens to us when we believe. And here's how chapter two starts off. He says, you are dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived. Verse four, but God. And we've heard that said, it's like a very popular phrase right now, but God, you are dead in the life that you once lived, but God did something incredible. Verse five, he made us alive together with Christ. So you are dead, but God brought us together in Christ, made us alive. You get into verse 11. So then remember, verse 13 or verse 12, and then down to verse 13. Remember that there was a time when you were without Christ and you were apart, verse 13. But because of Christ, you have been drawn and brought near by the blood of Christ. So you, you see how he's explaining now how the blood of Christ works, how that sacrifice works. You drop down to verse 19 and I'm working towards something. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God. So when you become a believer, you've been brought close by Christ and you become a citizen. Verse 21, here's the benefit of all of it. In 21, he says, in him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. So when you become a believer, you receive the inheritance of the Holy Spirit. But when we live in a healthy community as citizens of God, we become the dwelling place and the manifestation of God's presence in this world. Everybody hear that? I mean, that is such a beautiful part of the corporate gathering. It's why God has called us to be together. So I want you to understand all of that theology is there in chapters one and two. Chapter three, he explains his connection to the Gentiles, why he's in prison and why he's writing this to Ephesus, which then brings us to chapter four and we can actually start the teaching. Amen? Here we go. Paul says, I therefore, and that's a fancy word, therefore, 
And I used to have a, a teacher that said, if you see the word therefore, you need to find out what it's there for. That's, that's what he always said. I prefer the word so. I told you last week about Tammy. When Sammy says so, I know that's when I have to pay attention. But he's writing to a fancy group of people, therefore. So he says, I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you. Man, that terminology is so strong. I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. There's something so profound in this statement. Number one, Paul is so moved by what God has done that he begs the the, the church in Ephesus and us to respond to what God has done and live a life worthy of the calling or of the sacrifice that God has made. Now, here's the theology that you can't miss in all of this. In, in, In Ephesus, they're surrounded by temples. Temples where you would go and make a sacrifice and you would hope that by making a sacrifice that God would move on your behalf. What Paul is saying is that in chapters one, two, and three, God has already shown his love for you. God has done everything he can. His love is available to you in the greatest way. Therefore, we are called to respond to his love. We don't do what we do and then hope that God loves us. That's the understanding of grace in our lives, of opening up our heart and just receiving the work that God has done. And so we respond to what he's done. And Paul begs us to be a part of that. Now, then he tells us how we're supposed to do that. Verse two, and this is where we get into our, one, our first one another statement. So, so to the life that you've been, to the wor- worthy of the calling to which you've been called, verse two, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. Now, I love this. Bearing with one another, making every effort to maintain. There is the overture or the understanding that we're going to work together. We're going to bear with one another. Right in these early verses and the early one another statements, what he does is he gives us this ability to combat the inevitable offenses that are going to happen. Right? So if we're living out God's purpose and God's design and you get offended, if we don't have a way to work through that, then we thwart the plan of God. And so Paul's community, this healthy community that he's called us to live into, gives us the ability to navigate through that. It builds in some stretch points so that God's plan and God's ultimate design is not destroyed. Does that make sense? That's where the bearing with one another comes into play and making every effort to keep that unity together. Now, verses four, five, and six. This is back to that theology of being one. So here's the key word. The word is one. I want you to hear it. It says, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. So the two key words are one and all. All together as One, it's the picture of our unity. It's the picture of this community that God has called us to be together in. It's the work that we did in in week one when we looked at Jesus and his prayer in John chapter 17. Verse seven, now he's gonna start establishing for us a theology and an explanation of, of what God is doing in the church. So he, in verse seven, he says, but each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then in verse eight, he quotes Psalm 68, verse 18. He says, therefore it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. That's the first point. And the second point is this, and he gave gifts to his people. Now in the next few verses, he explains those. 
Verses 9 and 10, when he says he ascended, what does it mean that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above the heavens so that he might fill all things. And so what he's saying is he took captivity itself captive. So if he descended into the depths of the earth, think death. That when Jesus died, um, there's a theology that teaches us that he goes and he gets the keys of death and hell. Well, does that mean that he went down there and he got the keys or does it metaphorically mean that he defeated death? Yes, it means all of that, right? Who knows? Who knows exactly what happens? But what you need to know is that he took captive captivity. That if you're a believer and you believe in Jesus, you are no longer held captive by death. That we go from life to life. When you breathe your last breath in this life, you just continue on into eternal life. Does that make sense? So he's teaching us that theology that's there. But then he goes on to explain the gifts that are given. And I want to spend a little bit of time unpacking these just for a second. Verse 11, he says, the gifts we have, that the gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. In the faith system that I grew up in, not, not the Methodist church that I spent 13 beautiful years in, but in the faith system that I grew up in, there's this understanding and knowledge of the five-fold ministry calling. And it's lifted up as such that these five-fold ministries or these five ministries, the apostles, um, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are to be elevated above everyone else. Here's what I want you to hear because I want you to be a part of healthy community. These five-fold gifts are given as a job and a responsibility. They are not intended to elevate someone to a position that they should not ever be elevated to. Is everybody hearing what I'm saying? I've come from faith systems where I've seen these lived into and abused and been lorded over people in so many different ways. They are designed as a role, and my role as the pastor of this church is just as important as your role in whatever it is that God has called you to. And the most important part is that we all find our place and we all find our role and we live into it. That's a healthy community. And so here's where he unpacks it. He goes a step further and he tells us why. He, so those giftings were given to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. So those gifts were not given so that we could build our own personal kingdoms. They were not given so that we could turn them into something else. Those gifts were given so that as the body of Christ, there are people who are responsible for helping the body to grow in maturity, to grow up in the knowledge and the full stature of Christ. That's the intentionality of the church. That's the community that Paul is speaking to and asking to, to be in existence. Can you see how, that, how he designed for that to be? Now, there's a part in here that I love to mention. This part gets me excited. He says in verse 12, he says, to equip the saints. That word equip is in the Greek, it means to mend a broken bone or to mend a net that's been torn. And so just take and look at it in its meaning, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So there's the understanding in our community that we are taking people that are broken and the church's goal is to mend them, to bring healing, to restore them, to give them the tools that they need so that then they can go out and live into the calling of purpose. So if you're here today and you feel like your life is shattered and you're broken and you're struggling, 
If we're doing church the way that we're supposed to, then you are in the right place. That this is a place that is supposed to help restore and mend and bring you to a healthy place where you can contribute back to the kingdom. Does everybody kind of understand that? So I love that because that's the knowledge of the church and the way they created it. Verse 14 down through 16, Paul goes on a rant. And I love this. Um, He says, we must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown away about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, their craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head and um, who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament in which it is equipped. Um, As each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth and is building up of its of itself in love. We got to quit being children. As the body of Christ, we've got to be better than that. Getting blown around, here comes a doctrine, let's follow that. Here comes a different thought, let's follow that. Be healthy, be a good community, live into what God has called you to live into. And then I'm going to skip verses 17 down through 24. Remember in Colossians, he talked about the garment because Colossians was known for their wool. Same topic is brought up here. He talks about the understanding of putting off the old and putting on the new. And, And here's the awareness, that if you claim to be a believer then you should understand that transformation is a part of the deal. That you don't, you're not a believer and then not change in life, right? That's, that's not an active faith. If you truly believe in Jesus, it will transform your life. And so he says, your responsibility is to take off the old and put on the new. So it shouldn't surprise us when we get down into verse 25 that we see the same one another statement that he also spoke in Colossians. He says, so then put away the falsehood. In other words, don't lie to one another. Let us all or let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors so we are members, read in English, for we are members of one another. So, so if you claim to be a Christian, huh, act like a Christian. There, there's a novel concept. That's what he's saying. If you claim to be a Christian, allow it to transform your life. Don't lie to one another. Don't put on a false front because we belong to one another. Those are the one another statements that he puts there. Down verses 26 all the way down through 30. These are one-off statements that talk, be angry, but don't sin. If you're a thief, number one, quit stealing. Number two, go get a job so that you can then contribute to the needs of the community. It's powerful. I mean, it's so practical what he writes here. But then you get down to verse 31 and we start moving back into the one another's. He says, put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and be kind to one another. Could you imagine a church that was kind? Wouldn't that be awesome? Um, Be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. It's the image of that healthy community that God has offered us. Now, there's one other one another statement, and it's the most loathed one another statement in all of scripture. And Paul delivers it when he starts talking about the household unit, fathers, excuse me, husbands, wives, fathers, children. And it's in verse 21. And here's what it says. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so because so many people had a hard time with the word submit, we changed it to subject, right? I can't tell you how many times I go and I sit down with a family to plan out their wedding and I give them a list of vows. I said, hey, let me know what vows you'd like to use at your wedding. And they're like, well, definitely not that one. The one that says submit, like that's the first one to go in the trash. But if you understood verse 21, then you would understand those other verses He calls us to be subject or to submit to one another, a mutual submission. The only way husbands, wives, children all works together is if we are all submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, lifting up, supporting, loving, submitting, making way for. It's that power of mutual submission that he builds into the family unit. Go through the rest of the book. He closes it all up. 
and puts a nice neat bow on it and sends it on to Ephesus with, um, with the other letters as they spread out across that part. Um, is that interesting to study through all of that? Now, that's a lot. Um, I, next year, it sounds like a long time, next year we're going to go through every chapter of Ephesians. And it's going to be so vital. This year we're going to go through all of Galatians, but next year we're going to go through all of Ephesians, and, and I can't hardly wait. So um, you may say, Scott, pull all of this together. When you look at the one another statements, bear with one another, speak the truth because you are members of one another, be kind, tenderhearted to one another, and submit to one another. And here's what I think Paul is doing. I think he is teaching a master class on theology, but he's so good at it that then he takes it and he puts it into practical application. So it's theology in a way that just blows your mind, but then he teaches us in a way that we can just take and we can carry it out. If we think about the church in Ephesus, surrounded by all of these types of worship, Paul introduces them to the one God that is different than all of the other gods. That this God made the sacrifice first. That this God chose to love us first. And the sacrifice that he made for us was no small sacrifice. It was in the understanding of his son that was given for us. And then if that wasn't enough, then he builds for us the invitation to be in relationship with this God. Not a God that we slave for the rest of our lives, all the other gods they worship, but a God that now brings us into adoption as sons and as daughters and, and forgives us, redeems us, restores us. And then, if that's not enough, gives us an inheritance in that we now become the ones who are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, makes us full recipients as children of God. And so he explains this theology in such a beautiful way, and he asks people to just receive it. The theology is so powerful. Just receive it, open your hearts, and here's what you do. Now live a life worthy of what God has already done for you. Not to earn it, God's already done it, but live a life worthy of what God has already done for you and be in that relationship, build that community together. Can you see what God has done there? What Paul has done in this letter? And so when you think about it in relation to us, you say, Scott, how is that relevant 2,000 years later? I want you to know we don't live in Ephesus where we're surrounded by temples, but I'm gonna tell you that every morning when you wake up, if you're not making a conscious decision to serve God, then you're missing the point. Because it's so easy to turn our lives into worshiping everything else around us. They're not labeled as, as gods. We look at things differently, but it could be anxiety, it could be fear, it could be the vices that you have in life, it could be other people's approval. Those things aren't gods, but we give them power like in ancient history that they would give gods. We give them our time, we give them our energy, we give them our resources. And so the theology that's here is so powerful because it bears right into our lives today. If we would look at the chaos that ensues in our life and understand that there is a God who made a way for us to be at peace and to discover a community that is for our health and for our well-being, if we would recognize that he already did everything, he displayed his love in the most grand gesture of all time, and the only thing we have to do is to receive it, if we truly understood that the God of creation did that, then Paul wouldn't have to beg us to do something about it, amen? We would see what God has done for us. We would receive it. And then we would do something about it in chapter four. We would then go live into all of the one another's. And here's the most powerful piece is that when you do that, individually, you receive adoption, you receive redemption, 
forgiveness and the inheritance of the Holy Spirit. It's incredible. And it's available to you today if you've not allowed yourself to do that. Individually, you can receive that. But here's the thing that gets me most excited. When as a group and a body of believers, we do that, then you tap into this Ephesians chapter two, where when we live in that way and we accept and we receive it, and then we start to work through the process of transformation and we gather together, then you get to experience the palpable presence of God because we become the temple of the Holy Spirit in corporate worship. Have you ever walked into a place and said, there's something different about that? There's something that is marked about that place. I just feel different about it. When I go in there, I, I feel the presence of God. And that's exactly what it is. When believers are living into the healthy, godly community that God has intended for us to live into, you experience the presence of God in the midst of that community. One of the things that I love about uh, community life is that in this building, we have 25 plus, plus, plus different denominations that are represented here today. But somehow, we've figured out how to navigate through this crazy course of life together. And it's not because we are connected at the point of our denominations. We are connected at the point of who? Jesus is the anchor by which we all connect ourselves. And if we are anchored in Christ and we use the one another statements in the way that Paul gave them to us, then we can navigate through all the differences that we have as long as we are anchored in and understanding the theology of what God has done for us and we continue to work in the transformation. And it's in that life that when the world looks at us that they will see a living representation of God's love present here on earth in our lives together. Amen? And so how do we close this sermon out? We close it around by coming back to the personal thought that no matter where you are, what you've been, what you've seen, what you've walked through, the simple answer for you today is if you are tired of running on this hamster wheel called life, you can take a deep breath and you can up your, up your heart and you can choose to receive the love of God that's already been displayed for you in Christ by simply opening up your heart and saying, God, I believe. I don't have to earn it. In fact, you never, you never can. God's already done it for you. Open up your heart, receive and then make the conscious decision to move towards allowing God to transform you. It's as simple as believing. Amen? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, I thank you for Ephesus. I thank you for the letter, for Paul. <laughs> what an amazing human being that was able to take and rightly divide theology and present it in such a way that we could understand it 2,000 years later. That can only be done by your Holy Spirit. And so, God, we receive the message. And I, am, I just pray for each person that's here, Lord. You know um, what they look like on the outside, the front maybe that some of us, including myself, put on, and what we're really wrestling with on the inside. And God, I pray that the work begins inside, the transformation, that hearts today would be yielded to you out of response to the love that you've already shown us. I pray that hearts would be saved people would be redeemed, that people would become a part of, adopted into, redeemed by the love of Christ that was shown for us. And for those of us who are already in this journey, God, bring us back, set us up, and allow the transformation to continue so that we can personify you here on this earth. Love you. We trust you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you, if you will, to stand. And um, as Jeff leads us in this final song, I encourage you, if you will, to sing along with him. Allow these words to just lift your spirits. If, if you would like prayer, Addie's down on this side. I'm on this side. The front is open if you want to come down and spend some time in prayer. Just allow God to speak to your heart during this time. I'm so 
relationships we're in or maybe even the brokenness that we find ourselves in it is so reassuring for me to know that God finds us right where we are in that break and brokenness and we as a church and he is our God binds us together mends us up and sends us out into ministry as I think about this uh, the second chapter of Ephesians just says that in him we are brought together as the as the building as the body of Christ and regardless of what we may disagree with Regardless of, of where we may come in our past experiences or theologies, I love the fact that you love Christ so much to, uh, to love those people well next to you, regardless of, uh, of viewpoints. It's pretty incredible. If this is your first Sunday with us, we'd love to have a conversation. We'd love to meet you in the Next Steps room just right out in the lobby, connect you into what's going on here. But before we leave this place, let's pray. God, we love you. We're going to start with that. And you said that this world will know that we are yours by the way we love each other. So God, help us this week as we're heading to the offices and the classrooms, back to the bases and all those places that we find ourselves between here and Ephesus, that you would remind us who we are. And out of that awareness, God, out of that wisdom, we would love other people well. I believe that the way we treat the creation reveals how we feel about the creator. So help us to love you well, and as a result, love those people around us uh, the same way. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray and all God's people said, amen. We love y'all. Have a great week.